You are now listening to The Junk and Jam Hour, a live talk radio broadcast, only on Radio Free Brooklyn. And now for your on-air host, Christopher Albert. Hello there. Happy Wednesday, everyone. Of course, you are listening to The Junk and Jam Hour. Again, I am your host, Christopher Albert. Uh, you are listening to us courtesy of Radio Free Brooklyn. Radio Free Brooklyn is the nonprofit community organization and freeform internet radio station streaming original content uh, by New York City's artists, broadcasters, DJs, you name it, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right here. As always, it is Radio Free Brooklyn's goal to empower and amplify the otherwise unheard voice, voices, excuse me, within our communities. Now, on the Junket Gym Hour, it is my continued purpose to highlight and share the impressive projects and imaginative contributions of some of today's most talented, groundbreaking artists um, and entrepreneurs, professionals of all kinds. Um, And of course, we share their journey, their incredible journey that inspired them to get them so far. They are the marvelous, wondrously gifted and stunningly giving people whose life work it is to bring others joy. So for this hour... I hope to bring joy to them and, of course, to share with you their joy. Uh, My very special guest today, zooming in from Ohio, uh, has been writing since the age of eight. I don't even remember what I was doing at eight. Coloring. uh, Whose love and passion eventually led her to study English and writing at the University of Rio Grande. And she is also an alumna of the Marshall University Creative Writing Program. Her writing which has appeared in numerous literary magazines, including Night Roses, The Atwood Review, and Poet's Choice, has been lauded for its excellence and was presented the overall writing award in the Star Jewel Nationals and Talent Showcase Arts Contest in 2015. And in 2019, she was nominated for a Meyer Award, which celebrates the best writing of university students. We love that. In 2020, she released her debut novel, Within the Gray, uh, a story that follows a young widow through both physical and psychological journey through tragedy and trauma as she learns to live again. Um, It's been called a beautifully written story that really sucks you in in 2022. That's this year, y'all. She just released her second book follow-up, Sheila's Men, a dark modern fairy tale that follows the life of Sheila, a naive romantic living in poverty, who blindly marries a man in the hopes of providing a better life for herself and her daughter. However, she also finds herself subjected to emotional, physical, and sexual abuse. It's been hailed as a powerful story of survival, which of course is no accident. She herself being a creative We'll talk about this. I know, creative non-fictionalist. <laughs> uh, her work is ultimately her way of sharing her own real-life challenges of becoming uh, not just a widow, but of having the fortune enough to escape and survive herself um, abusive relationships in her life. Now, of course, as a writer, her main goal is to invite others in to let them know they are not alone in their journey. Her life's challenges has become her life's mission to encourage other survivors of domestic violence, of sexual assault, and of course, those battling mental health issues to fully embrace that they too can and deserve 
to have a life after trauma. Not surprising, she graciously offers her time as a volunteer for Southern Ohio Survivor Advocacy Outreach Program, excuse me, providing support and services to victims of abuse as an expert advocate. She is dedicated to providing others with in-depth knowledge about these topics, whether it be abuse, assault, uh, mental health disorders, and she uses her personal experience and story of surviving not just a nine, a nine, I want to say this right, <laughs> a nine-year-long uh, abusive relationship at home, but of course she has suffered abusive relationships at her workplace. And she cares deeply about helping others to not only live, but thrive on the other side of that. And she centers her advocacy around trauma recovery and hopes to start and build upon a global conversation about abuse of both men and women and of others in her sincere anticipation of sparking impactful change. Here to talk all about her amazing and important body of literary works, as well as her survival and advocacy, is award-winning writer and author, survivor and advocate, most importantly, mother of three, and, a, and of course, mother to her Cocker Spaniel. This is the Jenna Ashlyn. Hello, Jenna. Hi. Wow. What an introduction. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's all you. I am so honored to have you on here. <laughs> yeah, but I'm impressed with myself because I don't get to hear it very often. <laughs> you should be. You should be. Listen, I, I mean, you you know, you have such an incredible story. We have obviously a lot to cover. And, you know, you're just the epitome of not just being a survivor, but of your humanitarian, I would say. Right? It's... it's why live through the things we've lived through if we can't hopefully share that story with others and maybe help make their life a little bit better by sharing that experience and hopefully they don't have to go through the same thing exactly exactly that's that's a lot of my purpose is you know i went through this so that maybe i can help save a few maybe i can show them that you know you don't have to commit suicide you don't have to stay there you don't have to right. stay bound up in chains and and you can have that freedom and you can live a, a better more beautiful life than than you could possibly imagine because if i can do it anybody can do it right and right that's what i want to show people and that's what i want to share we don't have to stay there i love that i love that and, and it's something we learn right it's it's you know we continually sometimes ask ourselves why me why not me I, I can do this. Now let's start because we have a lot to unpack. Start with your childhood. <laughs> you <right>. started writing <laughs> at the age of eight. What was that? If you could remember, maybe that first piece of writing, whether it be a sentence, a particular story, a short story, a thought that made you proclaim to yourself, you know, hey, I love this. I can do this. I remember whenever I was little, probably much smaller than that. The first yeah. time that I remember my brother reading to me, he, uh, you know, he was just sitting there reading. He was five years older than me and I wasn't really wrapped up in the story. It was like, man, I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to create worlds and take people other places and help them escape. I want to be able to write. So I was probably like four or five years old. And then just as soon as I was like really able to write, I started writing and uh, some of my first stories were um, fantasy. I guess they would be middle grade fantasy. And I had, uh, we had chow chow dogs and he was, 
His name was Jake and he was blonde and he had little cinnamon ears. And in my story, he was like a lion and we went out into the woods and he was always protecting me and there were fairies and yeah. <laughs> I love that. And, and you can always tell you're talking to a writer, right? Because, you know, I know for me, sometimes it's challenging talking to people. I'm like, can you be more specific? Can you let me know? There's a lot in there that I that can be misinterpreted. But when you're a writer, you're like, I got to make this clear. I love cinnamon ears. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, but now you, you know, you went on to share some of your work as a child. And, and while your teachers were very impressed with your writing abilities and your work, uh, some of your classmates weren't so encouraging um, when you shared your work with that classroom. What what happened in school when, when oh. you would... Ben, you've done a lot of research, man. Um, <laughs> um, so I think that about that same time as I started writing, I kind of, I had an old copy, probably from the 80s of the writer's <laughs> market that. that I found from the, the library. And there was like this article that I remember reading that said, was talking about writers are always going to be weird. You're always going to be a little bit of an outcast. And right. at like eight years Although old, it's everyone I was else. okay with that. I was okay, okay right, with that. right. And then, yeah, no, my my classmates hated me. <laughs> it's a different experience, right? To to actually feel what those words mean, to be the outcast, to be the weird one, only because you do have to spend some, you know, you take some, some time to be alone to get your thoughts yeah. onto paper, right? And and you're ruminating and you don't understand this as a child, but hey, come out and play. And you're like, I just, even as a child, you're like, but I'm writing. <laughs> yeah, very much so, very much so. And I grew up on a farm and we were very <sighs> poor. And uh, one of the things that was just heartbreaking for me that I had to overcome, and this is gonna sound so horrible. And I like wanna defend my mother on this, but I remember very, very clearly the worst thing anybody ever said to me was that writing was a waste of paper. Right. And, and, and you know, sometimes those hurtful words do come from family. Yeah. And, and they're not always understanding of what that looks like because to them, a normal job. And of course, when you think about just the struggles of everyday life to keep bread and butter on the table, to keep the roof over your head... Sometimes it's easy. And you know, you're, you're from a rural area and a farm. It's easy to think about what substantiates a, a, a rewarding life. And, yeah. you know, sometimes it, and, and it could be a generational thing, but it flies over parents' head. You know, that might not be the dream for my child. They might not be as pragmatic as I am. Yeah, they wanted me to go into nursing, and then <laughs> that was never going to happen. <laughs> Just like everyone else in your in your school, right? Yeah, actually, yes. It's the saddest thing in the world to, to me, and uh, me and my fiance discuss it all the time. It's yeah. just like around here, you're either a nurse or a teacher, with, and that's it. With that said, you are a healer, and you are an educator. Yes, but in a completely different way. Right, but I mean, the label's the same. So now, um, at, at least for those who aren't as close-minded to understanding what, what, what that work or that type of dedication to others can mean, it can mean a many, many different things. 
So your love of prose eventually led you to continue. You know, you're always studying and obviously regardless of how much it hurt, it didn't detract you from continuing on your journey, thankfully. Um, you studied English and writing at the University of Rio Grande. Um, somewhere along the line, and, and obviously we're going to get to your books and, and how that uh, um, evolved over time. But you did put your writing on pause to start a family. Yes, I had to. I I kept writing in eighth grade. I had so many manuscripts destroyed. And I remember eighth grade math class. And um, I saw this teacher again. There was a substitute teacher. And she was just sitting there watching all of this happen as kids took my binder out and like threw papers all over the classroom and stomped on them. And she acted like nothing was happening. So I saw her again, like whenever my kids grew up and started, you know, into school. And she was a teacher there. The looks that I gave her were wonderful. (laughs) 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 But I had several manuscripts destroyed. I did really well in, um, in in the first college, but I did. I got married. I had children and, you know, I never really stopped there was always like poetry because you can write that a whole lot faster yeah than say a novel so i was always writing something and i was in the corporate world and i was going through like everything that's happening in sheila's men and um which were definitely as all those impact. things yeah. were happening that's when i wrote within the gray and i started i was so paranoid mm. about losing it and i didn't have like microsoft word or anything like that and i was literally taking lunch breaks at work and at night or whenever i got five minutes of time and i literally wrote it in emails to myself love that. so i would i wrote an email to myself you know and it was like the first chapter and then it was just like kept replying and replying and replying to the same thread and that's how within the gray was actually written so we're gonna get to in the gray but now not that it's any of my business in terms of starting a family because it's we don't always appreciate the sacrifices of parents particularly mothers right were were having children at this time part of the plan i wanted desperately to become a mom yes okay okay i didn't want to stop writing or, or doing creative things but i was a really big part of of who i was and I wanted to be a wife and mother. That was absolutely like and, and, and right. And and you worked full time in the corporate world to provide for your family. Now, since there's so much to your story, obviously, let's just talk about your your debut novel. Within the grave follows a young widowed mother named Tara as she navigates the world after her husband's death. Um, well, I guess. You can explain how the story came to be because obviously you were writing it. But what was that inspiration for you that you just had a, you couldn't help but keep email, emailing yourself those chapters? Well, I knew that I wanted to write about it. And I normally talk about how um, I was, I ended up after the death of my husband in an abusive relationship. And right. after a while, I wasn't able to really talk about him or mourn him. But um, that's sad and, and, and boring, but I always knew that I wanted to write about it and that was a great way for me to cope. That's but amazing. I was not sure where to start. 
So I'm going to tell you how the gray, which is a place, was born. Just to kind of give a little more insight and make this a little more interesting. I remember I was driving down the road and it was when um, Disturbed did their version of The Sound of Silence. And it just like I felt it all and I heard it all in my head. And that is the same song for Within the Gray. So that's kind of how that was born. I was listening to that and I got like that first scene, like that first image of the gray. And that was the springing point to really start within the gray. I, I love that at some point you were able, and, and this is part of part of your grieving process. And, and, and now it's, it's such a great testament and, dedication to that that person that you once loved as well um who you know you had a lot of surviving to do after that loss but yes. but it wasn't without the love of that person to instill in you maybe the tools you needed to survive and and yeah it was really hard there for a while because within the gray is kind of um what should have happened after my husband's death and Sheila's men is what actually happened. Right. Okay. Um, so but, now before going too far ahead and I don't want to stop you, just share whatever. Okay. I, that's fine. Great. I do want to ask you this because within the gray, not only does Tara, <clears throat> you, <laughs> you know you have to provide for your family and yes you you've made those decisions to do whatever you had to to survive and you don't always know where those decisions are going to lead sometimes they're made out of desperation right or you're feeling that way this needs to happen now and yeah. um and it does happen that you know if, if if i could have someone else in my life that could also help me through that and and yeah. you're in a vulnerable state so Tara eventually discovers that, you know, there's also, she's faced with these rumors of her de her deceased husband, who possibly, I mean, they're rumors, possibly betrayed her. Um, and then she has other people uh, around her from that orbit who are swooping in to take advantage of her vulnerability as well. Um is, is, is that also autobiographical? Yes. Yes, that, that most definitely is. So, you know, we don't have to get into specifics, right? But what are some of the challenges then, right? Because obviously you have this love for this person and, and that's what was part of the um, inspiration to start it, even though it ended up being, no, I'm the inspiration for this. <laughs> um, what are some of the challenges to reckoning what we think we know about the person that we loved versus what we find out about them posthumously? Oh, um, you know, that's a hard question. And I wanted to be like, I don't know. But... <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's no answers. Yeah. So there's, it's not like you can confront them and see how right. they react to it. Right. I mean, so, I guess that is the that is the biggest challenge, right? Oh, absolutely. Because you're like, I'm never you're going stuck to know. At, yeah. Yeah. You're stuck I'm, in this place. 
is it just hearsay from here in in the book i kind of like closed it off and and let you know people know one way or the other but in real life there was no (laughs) and it was actually his sister that came to me so that made it worse and all you can do is just try to take a snapshot of, of who you remember them as and just right so so maybe i'll ask you this instead how does it affect your grief then you know you have all these unanswered questions does it make you more angry does it make you more disappointed and is it towards Uh, them is it towards yourself (laughs) um towards them and then you feel guilty because you feel bad towards them you know because like they're i don't mean to make light of this but like they're dead and you're not supposed to be angry with them but sure. you are. I yeah. mean, you absolutely are yeah. because you know you're allowed. You know, <laughs> and a lot of it's just not fair. And whenever you're younger and you're widowed, people do not look at you the same. You don't get like the same kind of help. You don't have like all of this family buildup and all of this history. So you're kind of out there alone, um, swimming in the deep end, and you know waves are crashing around you, yeah. and it's insane. But I, it, it very much confuses your mind and it makes you sad. It makes you hurt and yeah. very angry because you don't have answers. So you're going to go through all of these different emotions. And you see that a lot in the book. There's like, it doesn't stay with one emotion and it doesn't go linear because it's, it's real. You know, real grief right. doesn't work. It doesn't work that way, right? And 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 then and, and who knows? Every now and then, what triggers a memory, and you're like, "Wait, what really happened that day?" <laughs> yeah. And by the way, for all of you listening, you can find um, within the gray and 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 all of Jenna Ashland's work. You're on Amazon and uh, Barnes and Noble as well, um, but we'll keep promoting that along the way. One of the things you, you you stated in an interview, I was able to pull from personal experiences and it's a lot easier to draw from the real world than to create another one. Can you tell about the power it is, not to just be a writer, but I guess of any creator, of not just telling your truth, but really creating and writing what you know? I think that it pours from a different part of your soul whenever you are just in that moment and you're really taking a part of it's taking a piece of you and and putting it out there for the world to see. It's very, very empowering. And then whenever you realize, I mean, at first, it's kind of all about you as as artists. We're just kind of enjoying that moment and embracing it and expressing ourselves. And that's kind of how it starts with any artists, I believe. Um, But after a while, whenever you realize that, hey, this isn't about me anymore, and you send it out there, and people start relating to it, and they're like, like, oh man, that's exactly my story. It was like you got inside my head and inside my heart. It's a very powerful feeling, and it just, it's just really encouraging to be able to share those things. Yeah. And like I said, it really does come from a different part of the soul, non-creatives, um, are really not going to understand that at all, but creatives will. Creatives will, and 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 hopefully that's that's the gift, right? Is hopefully to inspire someone, even though they might not know how to articulate what they're going through. Hopefully, they they can find some inspiration to find a creative way to expressing it in their own yes, way. 
Absolutely, because expressing things like that creatively just like I said, it's a different part of your soul and it helps you get to a place of healing and a place of your own truth. And as a writer, I get to kind of write it all down and I try to be very objective as to what actually happened. (laughs) You know, oh no, I don't want to write down that I did this bad thing or that bad thing, you know, because I put all of that out there. We all have our own responsibility and our happiness as well. Yes. And so whenever you step back and then I read my own writing and I see my own patterns, I'm like, I need to work on that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. As we should be doing every day. Right. Um, Now, Tara lives this, obviously more um, traumatic events unfold in her life um, where she seems hopeless. And I'm assuming that's, more detailed in Sheila's men. So why don't we go to Sheila and and, and and sometimes we can see ourselves in different parts of life as in a different state. And I guess the metaphor could be we, we wear different hats. We could also wear different names for that part of our life, right? Yes. So now, but for Sheila, well, let's talk about Sheila's men. Follows the life of Sheila. Uh, naively romantic still, despite her loss. Um, despite the, the the shock, the trauma of not just that experience, but of just being bamboozled with, you know, rumors. Um, <coughs> living, you know, in poverty again, she blindly marries a man um, who sells her hope that her life could be better and, and, you know, she can make a better life for her and her daughter, or so she thinks. Um, But soon after she marries, um, he becomes uh, increasingly emotionally, physically, and sexually abusive. Um, he refuses to get a job. Sheila has to do all, carry, on top of being abused at home, she's doing all the work to carry the family, to provide for the family. Um, and I guess, you know, if, if we could just stop there, right? What, and, and we don't need examples, right? But, you obviously had to go through a lot. What is it like living in that space? You know, I guess of continuing of continued confusion because that was the state you were already in. You were vulnerable. You confused, and now you're trying to pr- maybe project it into a brighter future. And it just didn't happen for you. What was that like? You know, I mean, I, I, and, and, and I know that it was a dark time in terms of uh, not just emotional anguish uh, and mental um, anguish that you that it led you to this place of why am I doing this anymore? Right. It was it was very difficult there. I mean, I was already in a really bad place and 
you know, I found someone who at first was, was very friendly and encouraging and supportive. And then that it was like a light switch went off. And then all of a sudden everything was about him. And I wasn't allowed to talk about my husband that had passed away. And for years, I thought that it's my fault that I didn't love him the way that I should, because I knew that I was healing. I knew that I wasn't ready and I blamed myself. But really, I was picking up on all of the little abusive things and all of the red flags that were coming. But I was blaming myself because I really felt like, okay, he's a good guy. I need to give him a chance. And red flag after red flag, it was always my fault. So it kind of, I wasn't able to really feel a lot of emotions for years. It took years for me to really be capable of really feeling any kind of romantic love at all and i so basically i was a little bit like an emotional zombie mm. just kind of going through the steps staying confused just kind of one step at a time just trying to make it through and the only thing that i could really do was try to take care of me and the kids what was that moment like that drove you to be like i think i'm gonna end this um, I felt very suicidal because um, he had asked for some things that he should never have asked for that I was uncomfortable with. It was definitely a breaking point for me. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't feel good enough. And I had been doing this for so long that I just didn't think I could take it anymore. I didn't think I had any fight left in me. And I remember staring at guardrails and going, you know, it wouldn't take that much to hit the gas real hard. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I had like a plan and I eventually did call um, someone and, and had a conversation and everything. And my people and I had created a little bit of a family at work because I ended up being a manager and I was driving like an hour and a half away from home, you know, one way um, and then staying there most of the time. So I wasn't home a lot, but I developed another family there, a really supportive work family. And Good. eventually it was just like, I am not this person. Yes. It was kind of a slow pr progress into waking up and, yeah healing and that all happened as i was writing within the gray so that was a big part of my healing process because in in writing that book i was creating the world as i wanted it to be and all of the things that i should have done and um, yeah, should have wanted cut ups <laughs> yes exactly. but it was my healing process yes and in writing it i started to wake up and while that was a slow process, it was just like, I am not this person. I am not going to stay here. And and how amazing was, and, and think of how all the people who feel like, and I don't want to say feel, but it, it they don't have anyone to turn to or talk to in that moment. And they do press on that gas, that gas pedal. Yeah. Um, one of the questions, and, and you know, we met through uh, a platform and, and you listed some questions about, oh, what, what interviewers can ask you, which I found, some of them I found interesting. One of them I found, um, and, and I'm assuming you get a lot, a question that you, not just in interviews, but just in life, why didn't you leave? Which in my opinion, you know, earlier, whenever. It's it, it's it's such on the side of shaming the victim, you know, again, 
this there is no should have would have could have in abuse right you know from my understanding your first goal especially for you you have to provide for your children and pets oftentimes it is pets too that keep you know people in abusive relationships because you know you have to think about you know where else am i going to go do i have a secure home and not everyone has the means to just pack up and go and leave and you know the other fear there is if i leave and they find me something worse could happen than if i stay um so instead of why didn't you leave obviously we you know it it was a slow um burn for you um i don't know if i articulated that correctly but you know it's a percolator of of just a you know just a percolation of abuse what you know and of course you you were in this moment of almost taking your life and and obviously you had the help of others but even still what was that moment that gave you the courage to actually leave <clears throat> i didn't leave i made him leave oh um, great yes <laughs> that's right i'm gonna throw some air horns in there <laughs> that's right but um that took some time <laughs> right even after the support even after yeah, yeah because i i mean it did it took some time because i had to get him to leave peacefully because i was worried right you know and I, I was very worried because they're <sighs> narcissistic abusive people are, are very very dangerous uh, men or women they're dangerous as hell and you know i i like to talk to people about you know that question it is the worst question to ever ask a survivor but it's important for them to realize and get the answer from me because you know i can take it but um for others one, who are getting those questions abused, yeah i hate the questions i really do I because know. they are insensitive and it just shows kind of ignorance and that's sad and i really am on a mission to change that um so if like confused people they don't get it they, they need to read the book because it yeah. really shows the processes and everything too but the reasons are either you don't know you're being abused you don't know how bad it is you don't have anywhere to go because shelters are often full and and who knows what you what abuse you're gonna, gonna encounter there and then if you have children yes Yes. And I have three children. Right. So me and three children, there was no place for us to go. And a lot of the times people don't realize that the most dangerous time in an abusive relationship is when you leave. And it is extremely dangerous. And there has to be a lot of the things in place and a lot of support to be able to get out. I went and had to take a completely different approach and eventually managed to get him to leave, which was actually... He hung on for dear life and the abuse continued even until the day of the divorce. We rode in a vehicle together to the, to the court date to finalize everything. And then he came back and that's when he left. It took, and it was a, it was war. It was, I won some battles. I lost some battles, but it was all out. And, and, And you know, we hear stories like that all the time, not just, Maybe they didn't get a chance to leave, but when they do get a chance to leave, they're forever haunted, harassed, and still yes. abused. You know, um, however that manifests, you know, you know, and, and especially if you're in a town like you were and you have to get to work and, and you wake up in the morning and, and you have to drive the 
the kids to school and you think you're on your own and now your your tires are slashed or however that looks right it's dangerous it's very dangerous you're always looking over your shoulder oh yeah that i still look over my shoulder and it's it's been years it's been years and um i still do because there was a lot of stalking and there was a lot of harassment there was he came into the house a few times and some of the abuse tried to continue as well there too so i mean there and he got really really mad when i changed the locks yeah and just like a lot of there's a lot that happens afterwards so so right now when when we talk about sheila's men you say you wrote it in less than six months once you got started. Yeah. The first few pages were started years before, but again, you were in this unsafe space for both the writings, right? Yes. Um, later on, you began writing thoughts and feelings. And, and it was a first, you know, initial, and when we think of non-linear writing, we think of memoirs. You first, you, you know, you were deciding that it would be a memoir instead um memoirs of shattered dreams but eventually you said you know what i'm going to combine these the two stories you know you change the perspective of your writing um you know when we think about in all the scenarios not just you live through but your characters live through you know whether that be abuse and of self-harm emotional physical sexual financial instability you know, not just triggering for you, but could be triggering for your readers. Why did you feel like, you know what, this is important enough for me to share with others? And and how hard was it then to relive those moments, to write them, to be able to write them down? There was a lot of healing, uh, really in between like those, those last, that last year, whenever I was trying desperately to get him out of the house and that was all in progress. There was a lot of healing and journaling happening. Anyway. And yeah. So by the time that Sheila's men and I started writing out some of the scenes, some of the the tougher scenes weren't actually that hard. Um surprisingly. Those weren't the ones that triggered me. It was the hidden things that I didn't know still bothered. Uh, mm. There were like little things that Um, There was one centered around work. There was one scene that I wrote that was absolutely heartbreaking. I went through more tissues on that scene (laughs) than any other scene in the book. Yeah. And um, it was a part where I had to make a decision for um, my work family. That was very difficult. And I'm tearing up thinking about it. And it's not okay. But (laughs) it is okay. I think that that was one of the hardest parts to write. And whenever writing scenes, like in the beginning of the book was very difficult, not in an emotional way as like sadness and tears and triggering, but in a, I wanted to go back in time and smack the crap out of myself. I I really did. So like those first, like you, mm, (laughs) I think it's like first few chapters where it's between two guys, Matt and Trenton, which they coexist through most of the book. Um, those were very difficult to write because I can see I've matured and grown so yes. much, but you know, I can't put that in there. So I had to put it from like the first perspective to kind of 
lead and let people walk through this with me. And it's so important because we talk about abuse and we talk about trauma and how common it is, but we don't talk about it. We internalize it and leave yeah. it there. <laughs> we don't get it out there. I mean, I know that Maid could, uh, came out on Netflix and, and there's a book for that. And she did really well and I appreciate her, but um, I go so much farther. And I think that it's important because there's so many people out there that do not have a voice that cannot express those things. Right. As a writer, I was able to describe the events. I do cut them off. Uh, those triggering scenes and the sexually abusive scenes, I do cut them off and I put into, I just put in, thank God for autopilot. So you see what's going to happen, you know what's going to happen, and then I put thank God for autopilot. And I explain that that's kind of a disassociation, which is a psychological thing where you just kind of separate yourself out. Because, so that was really important to me. But what people are struggling with, but what is the most important part of the book is I share what was the thought process and what was going on in my mind. This is not a narrative memoir at, at all. It's yeah. just written like, well, you are going to go through it scene from scene. And um, everybody that I've talked to said that it's very, very powerful writing and you're going to be right in there. So if somebody is a co-survivor or they want to understand more about what goes through people's mind and what they really go through, through the good decisions and the bad decisions, this will walk you through it. You'll experience it. And I know that's scary for some people, but I like am preaching that triggering being triggered is not a bad thing. Right. That is for your body to heal. Start to heal. Because yes, then we're because causing physical illness in ourselves by keeping it, by holding on to it. Yes. Being triggered is a good thing. It's your body wanting to let go and release mm. that. You know, it's a great way, you know, get out your journal whenever you're feeling this things and write it out and just be in that moment and allow yourself to feel those feelings and don't feel guilty about it. It's okay to have emotions and your feelings are valid and get those out there and, and that'll help you tremendously in the healing process. I love that. We're going to need a box of tissues for me here in the studio. Um, now, of course, now are you engaged or married now? <laughs> engaged. I love that. She's engaged. However healed, you know, your past was very traumatizing and, and you know, you and others who face abuse and violence, anything, I guess, that happens that's traumatic in anybody's life, you have to deal with PTSD. How did you get to beyond where you were once, you know, where you once were, whether that's hurt, pain, anguish, anger? to a place where you could for yourself accept the fact that I'm still deserving of happiness and I'm going to allow myself that. He was kind of my light in the darkness. He was a, a customer at my store and he just kind of came in every now and then and we have like really great conversations. I'll never forget the day I met him because it was just like, huh. Mm. you're not real (laughs) 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 too good to be true sort of thing yeah he is real but the thing is is i mean there's so much i could say about that but (laughs) right you're going for like a half an hour so anyway 
Um, it was a slow process. You know, we went from being acquaintances for like a year and then six months as really close friends. And then we just started dating and it, he was a survivor as well wow. uh, of a few things. Yeah. And so it was a learning process, a lot of open communication. There were definitely bumps along the way, um, but sure. not like arguments, but just communication. You're learning how to communicate. Yes. And we both were and very, very open and empathetic of each other and not taking offense whenever one of us would get triggered. So it was right. a lot of, a lot of, a lot of communication. So, oh. but that's we, our strong learning point. each that's other's language. Other. Yeah. 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 Cause we're very deep intellectuals. He's a, um, he's going for his master's in psychology and, and I'm an author with a love for that. So we have very, very deep, extremely deep conversations. I love that. And, 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 and that's important, right? Because now you're in, in a relationship that you are offered, not just as you offer, but you are offered in return a safe space yes. to feel, to say, yes. to convey, and just be yourself in all moments. Yeah, if I hold back anything or sometimes I'll have a trigger moment and I'm like, uh, and he's like, don't be afraid of that emotion. It's okay. Yeah. He's like, do not hide. He gets kind of upset if I hide it. He's like, just be, just blurt it out. Yeah. Like, it's okay if you hurt my feelings because you know, I'm going to try to understand it kind of a thing. So I want to say that everybody can have this, but man, it, it was, it's probably hard for some people it's hard. You have to be able to find that match that you can really, appreciate and understand each other and have that deep communication and even then i mean there's been hard moments we've been together for three years as a couple known each other for five and we've got a couple months to go well it's like three and a half months to go yay that's exciting i'm so excited um real quickly because now on the cover of sheila's and we i still have some questions for you um you know, she's cloaked. Sheila's cloaked. You know, she's in black and white. You can't see her face. You know, you, you say you wanted women to relate to her and picture her however they needed. And, and, and maybe even men, just to picture whoever that character was for them. Why was it important for you for, you know, for anyone to pick up the book and recognize themselves, you know, in the story? Because... I, and I guess you alluded to this earlier, when you're in it, you don't recognize the abuse, right? When you're in the moment and you're living day to day, sometimes life's just beating you to the point where you don't recognize it. It was really important for me for Sheila to be every woman. She's not just me. And it's not just my story. It's so many people share this story with me that it's not about me. And I, it's important for people to be able to relate to it and experience this with me. And so in Sheila's men, she has never given a description on the cover. You can't see her face and she's not like a supermodel on the cover. You know, she is the average woman. She could be anyone. She could be you. She could be your mother, your sister, your, your aunt, your daughter, your friend. Yeah, And that's because it is so widespread that people need to be able to put who they need to in there. And I don't want my description of someone to 
break that concentration and that link because we all do that. We picture the characters in our mind the way we need to. And right. so am I to interfere with that. So she's never given a description. That's that's so thoughtful. <laughs> and and also just a gift. It, it's just a it's just a gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> I can't, I could imagine, you know, just reading and, and just being really surprised by that and, and, or not, maybe not even realizing until you get to the end, like, wait a minute, like, I just, I was never limited in yes, terms exactly. of who that person was and I was able to recognize them very easily, whether that is me or someone else I know and love. Exactly, exactly. It is not interfered with anybody um, being able to picture her. I, th I think I've had like one or two people complain and they were like pro editorial professionals and uh, the publisher that I, and my managing editor that I went with, um, he really agreed with me and he's like, okay, well, we'll double check and make sure nothing slipped through. And we really right. did. I love that. Sure, that was um, a creative thing that I really wanted to do. It's a choice. Was, yeah. Yes. Um, and, and you know, you have to stick by your choices and not that you're not open to what others, but you know, you could find that book anywhere. This is about yeah. Martha and this is what Martha looks like and this is what she's going through. And, but this was like, as you said, everyone else, not just your story, but for anyone. Exactly. Who's going through this now, uh, sexual assault awareness month is coming in April. Yes. Um, in preparation for Sexual Assault Awareness Month, you are putting together a training program? Yes. I, I'm not real sure what to call it yet, but... Right. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you're just facilitating, um, I, I guess, um, we'll call it a program, a session, <laughs> an event um, yes. for, you know... To help Christian pastors and other spiritual leaders, I'm assuming of all faiths, to become trauma-informed. Um, I, I know you mentioned a point earlier, you know, not just shelters, but even medical centers. Um, you know, not, you know, they're, they're overwhelmed, under-resourced under for survivors looking for places to go. Um, and of course, when we think of pastors, ministers, preachers, I mean, I know when I think of them, you know, I already feel like they have a sense of providing hope, healing, restoration of peace, comfort to those afflicted by whatever their life challenges. In your opinion, what are, you know, whether it be sexual abuse or violence, um, what are some of their blind spots in these areas? I think... I mean, I don't want to be rude. <laughs> no. It, so they're, they're, they're kind of completely blind. Mm. Because they, and I totally support, and I ha was raised Christian. I still have a lot of conservative Christian values, but I want them to, I mean, I want them to think more like me. And, and that is, you know, people deserve to feel love. And it's not our place to judge. And there's such a thin line going on with, with that. And like, I don't want to get into it too far. Like I can right. point some fingers and, but that's not, I'm, I'm a very loving person and I believe in love and encouragement and hope. 
and that's who I am. So rather than say, hey, we're all deserving of that. You did this wrong or any of that kind of thing. I'm trying to lend, I'm trying to use my past experience with um, the Holy Bible and Christianity and some other religions that I've kind of researched and such. Um, some of it overlaps, right? A lot of it does. Yeah. A lot you don't like to hear that. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm really wanting to lend a hand. I just uh, want to reach out to them and from their perspective, because I understand where they're coming from. Right. And if they become more trauma informed, then that's an opportunity for them to have more understanding and to help these men and women that right. are going through this, because either you're helping or you're hurting. Yeah. And unfortunately people who are uninformed can do more harm than good. Yeah. And I think that with our shelters and our legal system and everything being completely overwhelmed with um, victims and survivors. So many victims want to become survivors, but not very many of them really we make, make it, it past that. Yes. And and of course, when they, we think about, I'm sorry, go ahead. They really need to help. And I think this is a tremendous opportunity for that. I love that. And of course, when we think of, of healing, physical, mental, it has to be part of its spirituality, whatever that means for you. Yes, exactly. And I, think that that needs to be very open as far as what that means for different people because not everybody is the same and I embrace that because there are so many they really do cross over a lot um, <laughs> and it's important to meet people where they are because healing and and sharing that hope and love is what's important yeah and and of course share this is not going to be a question but just a testament I found something on your Facebook um, but yes, about spreading that message. You know, I know you've been on a podcast tour, which we love. You were asked to be a guest. You, you posted something about being asked to be a guest on both a conservative Christian and a liberal podcast. Obviously, this podcast being the conservative Christian one. Um, and you were feeling amused. Um, I love that, you know, because I'm assuming you have no preference, but it is a message support healing and hope that's universal for men women others and, and it goes beyond political ideology yes people want to get political though like i they have it was happened within five minutes of each other I swear <laughs> to you. and i didn't reach out to these people they reached out to me and i'm like oh <laughs> you know i'm like oh it man. is it, but it, it was it was funny because it was like okay the, the right and the left both want me to talk to them so <laughs> did you say yes to both um i've talked more to one than the other but okay. i'm not gonna say anything. no <laughs> no no yes yes uh, because i hear my message a little bit more right. but i actually did a pre-call with him and i said uh, listen i'm not gonna i'm not gonna get on like uh, a political no, rant no. and i'm gonna talk about this or that because it gets in the way not what i'm about yes so i made sure that. to and like it. I did that pre-call I'm like listen <laughs> well thank you for not pre-calling me so Jenna <laughs> uh, Jenna Ashland obviously that's your pen name but you know that's how we, we'll know you and love you um, one of the things I know you did for yourself congratulations by the way you purchased you recently purchased your dream car Phoenix Rising um, I love that um oh you know about the car you know about the car how beautiful the car is 
Um, but I do want to ask you before you go. By the way, before we run out of time, it goes by so fast. Um, to find out everything about what we do here, you can go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.com for everything. I do go to JunkinJam.com. But most importantly, to find out all about Jenna Ashlyn, you can find her on Facebook um, at author Jenna Ashlyn. Uh, you can find her on Instagram at Jenna Ash L J E N N A A S H L, and also on Twitter.com uh, Jenna Ashlyn One. Also find her at find her works. Is it just Amazon and Barnes and Nobles? Oh no, you can find anywhere, them anywhere. Anywhere. Just, yeah, yeah. Brook and mortar stores are a little slow, so you'd have to order, but you can find them anywhere. God bless you getting getting that, you know, purchase a copy of both Sheila's Men Within the Grey. Real quickly, obviously for the men and women and others out there who may be enduring pain, um, abuse, sexual assault, verbal abuse, whether at home, whether at work, <laughs> microaggressions, um, depression, debilitating anxiety because of everything, right? They're unsure of their purpose, their sense of belonging. What do you want them to know? You have a purpose. You have a belonging. You just may not see it yet. I actually started out with like making a list of things that I really wanted to do. And some of it started out really extravagant. And then it got really simple. And it's just really a step at a time. That's actually how I ended up with the car. Because my mm. my extravagant list, which was you know, go to Italy. I want to travel the world. I want to do this and that. And then it was like, what kind of car do I actually like? You know, because if you start taking those steps, each step will lead to another one and you will find your hope and you will find your purpose. You just have to start taking those little steps. And the cool thing about the car, and I want to talk about this really quick. Yes, it's really cool. let's do it. Um, I went to like every car lot. Did so much <laughs> and, everything. <clears throat> and I drive a Dodge Challenger. And um, oh, I love the it's a beautiful. I'm not car. a driver, but it is a beautiful car. And women started noticing the car, and mm. they were like, "Oh, is this yours?" And I'm like, "Yeah." They're like, "Oh, I would love to have something like that." And you know, and they're still in their SUVs or their minivans, which is I came from a minivan to that, and I it was just an opportunity to talk to them. And then at that time, my car was completely plain, and then. I use that to kind of communicate because people were having conversations to me about, you know, domestic mental abuse and all of this other stuff just by t seeing my car. So now it has a Phoenix on the side and it has the domestic violence. Phoenix and rising from the ashes. This episode and all episodes of the junk and jam hour can be streamed on Spotify, Apple podcasts, iHeart podcasts, Google play music, and simply tell Alexa, play the junk and jam hour. Thank you.